Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we love you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, this is week number three of a series that we have entitled The Screw Tape Letters. And hopefully one thing that I've continued to do in my time as a pastor is I've never, uh, hopefully, never put myself in the place between you and God that I'm the divine um, teller of all the wisdom, but instead that I can just maybe point you in the right direction. And one of the ways that I do that is I like to deliberately introduce you to some of the people that I think are sort of the heroes of the faith, heroes of just great thinkers of the Christian faith, and so you can maybe start your own little relationship with them that you would at least know some of these people and know some of the beautiful things that they did. So in our series for uh, the Screw Tape Letters, it probably shouldn't surprise you that I've been introducing you to a man named C.S. Lewis. I have a picture of C.S. Lewis. He is one of the most influential writers of the 20th century. He's an amazing guy. He's one of my heroes. He was born in 1898. At 15 years old, C.S. Lewis loses his faith and becomes extremely devout, professes his devotion to atheism and the occult. He goes to war and it just strengthens his resolve that there is no God. But later on in life, because of some relationships, he becomes good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, who writes The Lord of the Rings and all of that kind of stuff. He uh, becomes a, a believer again. He returns back to the Christian faith and he writes some really influential books in the Christian world. He writes uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, so that's like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all that stuff. He writes Mere Christianity. And what's notable for us is he writes a book called The Screw Tape Letters. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. The Screw Tape Letters is basically, you could say it like this, it's the telling of a human life from the perspective of a demon who is hell-bent on destroying the human's faith. And it's not really all that much about demons and Satan. It's more about the traps that tend to befall us as uh, people just humanity as a whole. And so for us in this series, it's hard to talk that much about a fiction book, if I'm being honest. I bet you've discovered that. It's hard to just blab on and tell you more details about the patient. It's not that interesting, but it's, we just want it to be kind of like a fun way uh, for us to talk about some of the issues that we think trip us up uh, in the Christian faith. So all you need to know, super brief, I know this is a review for some of you, all you need to know is three characters. Number one is this screw tape. This is the uncle. He's the senior demon. He's incredibly good at what he does, and uh, he is also the author of the book. And so there, it's all letters from him. And so when he says things like our father, he means, of course, Satan. And when he says things like our enemy, of course, he means God. Uh, next, we have Wormwood. This is the nephew. He's brand new to the job. He's not very good at torturing and tormenting people yet, but he's just learning. And so uh, he's precious and he's new and he doesn't know the right thing. Lastly, number three, we have the patient. He's a man who's recently converted to Christianity. And uh, Wormwood, the middle guy, he has been assigned the patient and his job is to reclaim him out of the enemy's camp and back into uh, their father's camp, which is, of course, Satan's camp. So thus far, the patient, uh, hopefully you've been here for uh, some of the other ones. Uh, if you have, you'd remember this, that so far the patient becomes a Christian and then the patient become uh, de devout, devoted to the church. He goes to church. And so this week, what we're doing, and then we're gonna, we got lots of stuff. I wrote down a lot of things. So we've got lots of, lots of thoughts tonight. This week, he go, the patient goes to war. Specifically, World War II. Screwtape says this. Of course, the demon, he says this. I've got it on the screen. You say you're delirious with joy because the European humans have started another one of their wars. Well, I'm also delighted to hear that your patient's age means that he will be called up for military service. 
In your next letter, give me a full report of your patient's reaction to the war so we will know, and pay pay attention to this, we will know whether it, it will be better to make him an extreme patriot or an ardent pacifist. So it's amazing when I read this book for the first time, I was very surprised that uh, Screwtape uh, thought that extreme patriotism and extreme pacifism were equally good things. Basically what he wanted is he wanted the patient to become incredibly um, devoted to something that has very little to do uh, with the kingdom of God. Screwtape says this, that tortured fear and stupid confidence are both desirable states of mind. He's saying this, that either ditch that they could fall on, either being extremely into the war or extremely against the war, whatever, ultimately those things can all be good if what happens is we find allegiance that compromises our allegiance to the kingdom of God is what he said. And I thought that was a very interesting point, and it was an unusual point I wasn't expecting. I was expecting him to just say something about war being bad. But he says, but really, like the classic things that you think about war, all the fear, all the hatred that comes, all the violence, he says, ultimately, those things don't help our cause that much because people all of a sudden become ready for the afterlife. And he says, and that's not something that we're hoping uh, to do. They They want them to be blind and dumb as they walk into the afterlife, not expecting it. So the patient, the patient here is he's sent off to fight in war. Uh, he's sent off to fight in specifically World War II. So, okay, so basically the idea is this, that war is a great opportunity for the devils. They're very happy when war comes, but not for the reason that you might think. The reason that they like war is this. It's an opportunity to fill the minds of people with other opinions and give their hearts to other things that are different and have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And I think it's kind of like today. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but man, people are so opinionated right now. It's like really intense. Like social media is really intense right now. It's like so crazy. And I think it's interesting. If Screwtape were real, I think he would love the idea of people giving so much allegiance to something that has ultimately very little or maybe even nothing uh, to do with the kingdom of God. He says this, Screwtape says this, the real problem with your patient is that he's merely Christian. They don't like that. We want to get the patient into a state of mind called Christianity and... Christianity and, he says, Christianity and psychology, Christianity and philosophy, Christianity and empire, Christianity and individualism, Christianity and consumerism. Ultimately, the attack from Screwtape is this. The patient is encouraged to split his allegiance. So they don't want him to be ultimately have where, he, where the allegiance in his heart is ultimately to Jesus and his kingdom. No, he wants there to be a little bit of allegiance here, a little bit of allegiance here, a little bit of allegiance uh, here. And he wants, they want there to be contradictory beliefs in the patient roaming around all the time and that be absolutely no problem. But there's all sorts of different things because, man, you know what? We just put on different hats depending on what's going on. You know what I mean? It's like we're going to have a, oh, we're going to have a Christian conversation? Oh, no problem. I just put on love. Cool, and then I'll talk about like, I'll act like I'm a super loving person. Or it's like, oh, we're gonna have maybe a work conversation? No problem, I'll just put on the, the hat, like, look out for Mr. Number One, you know, or maybe we're gonna have some sort of global conversation. Well, no problem, then I'll just put on the hat of whatever political party I happen to ascribe to. But the overarching theme, and then we're gonna talk about it, the overarching theme, I just hope you get this, is the real problem with your patient is that he's merely Christian. They don't want that. We want the patient in a state of mind called Christianity and. Christianity and other things. And so 
So I want to talk about that a little bit because I think this mentality of not just Christian, just not, not just merely Christian, but Christianity and something, I think that this tactic of the enemy, if you will, I think it has succeeded incredibly well over the last 2,000 years. In fact, I think that people aren't familiar that much, if we're being honest, with just Christianity, merely Christianity, because our allegiances are so split and our, our ideas, you know, and it's so intermingled with all sorts of different ideas and philosophies of the world that if we were to actually see merely merely Christian, it might seem kind of extreme, but this is something that has succeeded, at least in my opinion, exceptionally well over the last 2,000 years. So here we go. Let's talk. We're going to do some history. If you guys hate history, you're going to hate this sermon. But, you know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Don't they say that? So here we go. So we're going to talk about some history. We're going to see how that this Christianity and has become the thing that is almost all we have anymore. So in the Bible, there's this big event that kind of kicks this whole thing off, and it's called the Ascension. This is after Jesus is uh, raised from the dead, and he's promoted to the right hand of the Father, where he continually, that's where he currently sits. And when he's there, after the Ascension, he rules over the nations. That's what the Bible says his job is. He rules over the nations. So Christ now rules over the nations of the world. That's what we believe. Uh, it's not someday. We don't believe that someday Jesus is going to rule over the nations. No, we believe that he now rules over the nations. He isn't ruling a kingdom in heaven. No, he's ruling the nations of the earth from heaven right now. If you were to sum up the gospels according to the apostles, people like Peter and James and John, you can find this all in the book of Acts, they say this phrase over and over and over. I bet it'll ring a bell. Jesus is Lord. This is what they say. Jesus is Lord. It's one of those things that we've said so many times. It's completely cliche. But back in the day, it wasn't quite uh, as cliche as that. And just notice that they're not, they're not saying Jesus is going to be Lord someday. They're saying this, Jesus is currently Lord. In the original language, you could make the argument that it should be, it should be like Christ is Lord. And so you're thinking, well, that Christ, what a Christ, Ooh, Christ, we're saying Christ. What does that mean? Well, Christ is not Jesus's last name, Jesus Christ. Christ just, Christ just means this. Christ means, uh, Christ means king. So when you're saying Jesus Christ, what you're really saying is you're saying King Jesus. That's what you're saying. <laughs> You're saying King Jesus when you're saying Jesus Christ, because that's not part of his name. You're giving him a title, which is the Christ. His name is Jesus. And so you're saying, without even knowing it, you're saying this King Jesus. It's the Jewish Messiah, the Christ. It's the King of the Jews. Remember, they wrote that uh, during the crucifixion. So when someone is saying this, Jesus Christ is Lord, they're saying this, that, listen, he's not just King of the Jews like we had previously thought. No, Jesus is King of the entire world. So now, Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord. That word Lord, we're going to go to that one next. And Lord means this. It means emperor. It means the guy who's in charge. And at the time, they're making a bit of a contrast because Caesar was Lord. They used to, people used to go around the Roman Empire saying this, Caesar is Lord. It was part of how they would pledge their allegiance to uh, their, their nation, if you will, is they would say this, Caesar is Lord. And so when somebody says this, Jesus Christ is Lord, what they're saying is this, King Jesus is emperor. King Jesus, I know you guys think that, you know, that there's like some sort of emperor here named Caesar who's in charge, but I'm saying that King Jesus 
is emperor. So the apostles are going around the, uh, the Roman uh, empire saying this, hey, Caesar, I just want you to know, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is. See, you all think that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so there was a direct statement and there's an implied statement. The direct statement is this, Jesus is Lord. The implied statement is this, and Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord, because there can only be one. There can only be one ruler. So Jesus is Lord, and Caesar is not. They're making this direct contrast by saying this, and it's very edgy. They were saying this, man, you say Caesar is Lord, and we're just correcting you and saying that your emperor is not the real emperor, but Jesus is actually the one who uh, is in charge here. It's a very radical and a very dangerous thing that these guys go around uh, saying, this is why Peter and Paul uh, ultimately end up in prison. Because they're not... They're not they're not giving their life. They weren't killed for uh, religious reasons. They were killed for political reasons because they were going against the political powers of the day because they were going around saying, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. So these apostles, after the ascension, they believe that the world has a new king and they travel around the Roman empire saying, we just want you to know that your emperor has no clothes and Jesus is the real uh, emperor, basically. And for its time, it's a very political statement. You can see why it's so... Uh, and politics are always controversial, always. Because co- politics are everything. Politics are uh, how we relate to our fellow man, who gets what. That's basically politics. And so it's always controversial, always. And so they're making this statement about a new political system. And part of the gospel in the book of Acts is basically saying this, the politics of Caesar or the politics of power have been replaced with the politics of Jesus or the politics of love. So if we were in this room in 2015, you might be feeling this. If we're saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, you might be thinking, whoop-de-doo. That's like literally boring. This, this sermon is boring. Like, why are you saying Jesus is Lord? We don't, we don't think Caesar is Lord. Who thinks Caesar is Lord? Nobody thinks that. Well, you could make it um, maybe a little bit more edgy. Maybe it could connect with you if we were to say it like this. Jesus is Lord and nothing else is. Jesus is Lord and nothing else is. You know, like, and you can make it a little bit more controversial if you replace Caesar with the things in our day. Whatever it is in the world system that you hold dear, Paul is saying this, I just want you to know that Jesus is Lord and that isn't. Like, there's just one Lord and that's ultimately Jesus. And so this is the message that ultimately gets them arrested and in Paul's case, executed by, any guesses? Caesar, probably shouldn't surprise you. It's Caesar's empire, the Roman government, uh, who comes and arrests and ultimately executes Paul for this message. So I'm going to tell you the story, history lesson. Paul is in Philippi. It's this large, important city called Philippi. It's in the Roman empire. And they're preaching this message. Hey, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. You guys all wake up. And this is the message that gets Paul and his traveling companion. Any guesses on the name? Silas. That's right. Paul and Silas. This is the message that gets them uh, thrown in prison. So they're thrown in prison. Y'all know this story. They're in prison and they're singing hymns. And so there's this big earthquake happens and all the chains fall off and all the doors open. And so everyone can escape, but nobody does. No one escapes because Paul says, Hey guys, everybody don't move a muscle. Just stay right here. There's this Roman jailer and he's getting ready to commit suicide because all of these people he's assuming have left under his watch. And Paul goes to him and says, man, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're fine. We're not, we're not leaving. So, so don't harm yourself. And the jailer says this, well, what do I have to do to be rescued? 
And Paul says this, which is a very uh, edgy statement. He says, well, believe in the Lord Jesus, the king. Maybe another way to say that is this. He says, believe on Emperor Jesus, the real king. And you can see that that's a pretty edgy message, especially if you're talking to a Roman government official like the jailer here. He's saying this, well, well, what you have to do is you have to trust in the real king. You have to trust in King Jesus instead of, instead of all this other way that you're doing. And so, uh, so he believes his whole family is baptized that night, the jailer. But you can see that there's this huge shift of loyalty happening from Caesar to Jesus, from Caesar to Jesus. Caesar is Lord. No, he's not Lord. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. 15 years pass in Paul's life. He's maybe 65 years old. He was born in maybe 1 AD. This is maybe 64, 65 AD. He's arrested for the second time. Uh, The first time he's released, the second time he's uh, imprisoned, he will not be released. He'll be executed. Uh, This is during uh, the time of Nero Caesar. You can read all about him in the book of Revelation. Paul says, like, I don't even know, I don't even know what I'm hoping for, guys. If I'm being honest, like, I don't even know, I don't even know what to wish for. Because if I'm killed and I go to heaven, like, that's great for me. To be with the Lord is awesome. But, you know, if I stay here, I mean, that's, that's better for you. So I don't even know what to do. Should I stay or should I go? Is what Paul is saying. Well, it turns out um, it wasn't up to him. He would go because he would be executed. They would, they would kill him really uh, shortly. And one of the very last writings of Paul before he's executed is a book called Philippians. It's in your Bible. Uh, he doesn't know he's about to be killed. We know he's about to be killed as he's writing the book of Philippians. Uh, but he's in Rome. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's about to be killed. And Paul writes one of the happiest letters of his entire career. And he's just so happy, like these stories that he's talking about, the shifting allegiance from Caesar to Jesus. And he says, man, it's amazing. Some of, even of the imperial guards in Caesar's house are claiming that Jesus is Lord and turning into believers. And of course, one of the big themes of the book of Philippians, as y'all know, is this, Jesus is Lord. Here's one scripture from the book of Philippians. Chapter three and verse 20 says this, but our citizenship, talking to other believers, is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So focus on that. Our citizenship is in heaven, he's saying this. And when he says that, he doesn't mean that the earth isn't their home. Because it it is. But what he's saying is this, I'm about to use a new word. He says this, we are, as believers in Jesus, we are to colonize the earth with the culture of heaven. Colonize the earth with the culture of heaven. We live here, we live here on the earth, but we're citizens, ultimately we're citizens of the kingdom of God. So here's how colonization works. Quick case study, we're going to talk about the British Empire from the 18th and 19th century. You history buffs are wanting to die, or non-history buffs wanting to die, uh, you history buffs might be wanting to die if I, if I tell it wrong. <laughs> but 17th century, okay. 18th and 19th century, well, the British Empire, they went around the entire world colonizing. They had a statement, and they would say this, that the sun never set on the British Empire. And what that means is this, they had so much land, so much colonization that they were in every time zone. And so there was like this hugely dominating culture was the British Empire in the 18th and the 19th century. One of their prized possessions was the incredible place of India. So they went there and they set up these colonies and people would travel from England to India. 
and they would live there. And uh, when they got there, here's the question, when they got there as uh, like a colony, would they live as Indians or would they live as their native culture as the English? Well, they would live as the English, of course, because they're English people. So picture India, and maybe you're in this English colony and 4 p.m. hits. What do you think people did? They had tea because they're English people. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we live in India because we're a citizen of England. And so we live. Our job here, what we're doing in this colony is we're bringing the culture of England to India. We're not living like the Indians. We're living like the English, even though we're right here but there's this colony. And so the Philippian church, he's talking about this, they would understand this because Philippi is a Roman colony. It's, a, they, it's in Greece, so it's not in Rome. You, Roman Empire, Rome, it's not in Rome, but it's still a Roman Empire because it's a colony, a Roman colony. And so Paul says this, I just want you guys to know that your true citizenship is really heaven and you're bringing that culture here to earth. That's what you're doing. And so he's reminding them. He says, hey, I just want to remind you guys that you are to live with Christ as your king because, because we are citizens of heaven. You could say it maybe like this. Jesus' current project in the world is to colonize the earth with the culture of heaven. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be colonizing earth with the culture of heaven. So depending where you were born, maybe where your journey has led you up to this point, you have some sort of earthly citizenship. I would say most people in here would probably be American citizens, but probably maybe not everybody, you know, maybe, maybe we have some Brazilians in here or like some Colombians or Ethiopians or Canadians, I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, but... We have, so we all have different earthly uh, citizenship, but if you're a follower of Christ, what you've pledged, you've pledged your allegiance to him first. And that's your ultimate, your ultimate um, citizenship is your citizenship in heaven. So this is how it was with Paul, because Paul was a Roman citizen. He was born in a place called Tarsus. So he was a Roman uh, citizen, but he says this, but my ultimate allegiance is this, more so than my allegiance to Rome, is this, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. He's saying this, I know, I know I'm a Roman citizen, but I'm still saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. So this is how the early church lived. And you might be thinking, have you ever heard that term, the, the, the early church? You might be thinking, are we still in the early church? Like, what's the early church? Well, the early church is from the book of Acts, from Pentecost, all the way to the year 312 AD. You might be thinking, that's pretty specific. Like, exactly, yeah, listen, the early church ended in exactly 312 AD. So it lasted three centuries. And so there was a definite end, and you might be thinking, well, what happened? What happened there? I'll tell you. So there was three centuries where we would go around as Christians and we would say this, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. We were still good citizens. We would still pay our taxes. We'd still be law abiding. We'd still be supportive. We'd still participate in community and what it means to be a responsible citizen. But there was always this line that we wouldn't cross. There's always this line that's like, man, we'll never go against what Christ told us because our ultimate allegiance is in heaven. And at the end of the day, our, our citizenship is in heaven and not uh, in Rome. So uh, our allegiance, to, maybe you can say it like this, our allegiance to you will never be as great as our allegiance to Christ. 
This goes on. This goes on for three centuries until 312 AD. And there's this pagan Roman general in 312 AD. Does anybody know the name? Extra credit. I know it's hard. I wouldn't have known. Uh, his name is Constantine. Perhaps you've seen his, uh, perhaps you've seen his uh, movie with Keanu Reeves. Just kidding. That was a weird movie. The angel Gabriel was a woman. I didn't know what to do with that. Okay. So 312, 312 AD, there's this, there's this guy, and his name is Constantine. He's a pagan Roman general, and he's in a nasty civil war with another pagan Roman general. They have a battle called the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. <sighs> I know. Don't worry. This is going somewhere. The Battle of the Milvian Bridge, I actually have a picture. This is, this is at the Apostolic Palace in the Vatican. The bottom part right there, that's the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. So Constantine, this pagan ruler, he thinks that he gets a vision from God and that, that, uh, that the Christian God told him that he is going to win the war and that his opponents will be defeated. So what he does is some sort of like token of faith is he takes the Christian symbol at the time. It's called the chi Rho. Y'all know the chi Rho? It's the P and the X. I've got one right here. You probably can't see it. It's old. It's like a P and an X. So he takes that and he puts that on all of the shields and all of the weapons of these guys as they were going uh, to war. I have, actually have a picture of that, of like a really cheesy uh, drawing of it. Yeah, so you can see here, see the P and the X on all the shields. So this, this was his kind of um, superstitious kind of way to win the battle because he had this vision that the Christian God told him that he was going to win. And so he wins. He actually defeats his rival. And so as he continues in this superstition, he becomes a sort of kind of, kind of weird Christian, sort of, Constantine. And then, hang on, in a really weird twist, in a really weird turn of events, if you've been with me for more than a couple months, you probably would never see this coming. Uh, Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. Isn't that weird? Remember, remember the Roman Empire, the people who have been like persecuting us and crucifying us and inventing new ways of torturing us and killing our messiahs? Like those guys, it becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire is Christianity. They actually put the chiro on all of their coins. I've got a picture of that. You can see here that's uh, Caesar and a chiro. And so there's this weird shift that happens in 300 AD. Uh, it's what we call is the birth of what we, we would call civil religion. And there's a really subtle but important shift um, because now there's this strange hybrid of Christianity and Caesar. And so before it was Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Now it's Jesus is Lord and Caesar is too. That's weird. This is so crazy that Jesus is Lord. And, and like if screw tape were real, which he isn't, he would be clapping, remember? Because what he wants, we're going to do the quote one more time. The real problem with your patient is that he's merely Christian. We want to get the patient in a state of mind called Christianity and. Christianity and. Maybe in 312 AD, it would be something like this. Christianity and Caesar is what they wanted. And so now people were able to change and kind of put Jesus more into just the spiritual realm. And so they were able to say this, well, maybe Jesus is Lord of heaven 
and Caesar is Lord here on earth. See how convenient that is? It's just, a, it's just a new way to reinstall Caesar as Lord. And so now Christianity is so dominant. It's so completely dominant in this world that now being a good European citizen means becoming a Christian. And it's the dominant system for, for 1,700 years until the 20th century where it collapses in epic proportion, and we talked about it last uh, week. But I just think it's amazing, and hopefully it's illuminating to you, it's interesting to me, to see like how we started at this place where Jesus is Lord, our allegiance is to him only. And we'll be good citizens, but our allegiance is to Jesus. And it's just amazing how we've slowly fell down this mountain to where it's like, well, Jesus is Lord of heaven, and then all of the different things that we feel about the kingdoms of the earth, that he's not really that involved in those different areas. His deal is heaven, and Caesar's deal is here on earth. And I think, I think it's just shocking to see, and hopefully, even for me, it would motivate me to say, I'm just never going to do that. I just want to try to find a way back into mere Christianity. To my, my devotion is solely, uh, solely to him. Can I get the band to come up? Here's the question that I want to pose to you as uh, we close tonight. And I think it's an interesting question. Hopefully it's an interesting question to you. Uh, I think it's really interesting and it's this. So how do we live under the reign of Christ and still be responsible citizens? Isn't that a good question? Isn't that an interesting question? How do we live under the reign of Christ and still be responsible citizens in the world? Well, I'll sum it up in my humble opinion. I'll sum it up in 10 words, two statements and uh, 10 words. The first statement is this, Jesus is Lord. And that must always be the truth when it comes to you and how you understand the world and how you relate to your fellow man, how you relate to the people who are sitting right next to you. You have to think this, Jesus is Lord. He, he is my, my allegiance, my real citizenship is in heaven. And my job is to be someone who colonizes earth with the culture of heaven. So Jesus is Lord. And number two is this, you can say it like this, the kingdom of God is without coercion. You may think coercion, geez, coercion, what does that mean? Well, that means force. And so, uh, so it's this, the kingdom of God is without force. It doesn't come, that's not the way we advance the kingdom of God is with force. And that's legislative or otherwise. I wrote this, the kingdom of God persuades by love, by spirit, by reason, and if necessary, by martyrdom, but never by force. It's not the way that it works. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes, and I just think sometimes we get so huffy, you know, as Christians. It's like, man, we gotta get, we gotta get prayer in school. Guys, we gotta get prayer in school. Guys, don't we have to get prayer in school? And we try to use legislative force to get prayer in school. As if, like as if we want the government to concoct our prayers. Like if you want to hear the worst prayer you've ever heard in your whole life, like have the government make you pray. It'd be really lame. But, but we, don't need, we don't need a law to be passed in order to pray. We just pray. If we want, if we want to bring prayer in, into schools, what we do is we teach kids to pray and then send them to school and hope that they pray there, you know what I mean? But, it's, <laughs> but we don't need laws to pass to pray, we just pray. But it's like we're saying this, hey Caesar, can you help me make these people live like Christians? This is like, it's crazy, like that's not the way that that's supposed to, to work. And it's just, it's just a ridiculous way, but the kingdom of God does not advance 
with force. We don't force people. Things you mean, well, well, can the kingdom of God advance without force? Of course it can. That's how it, that's how it happened for the first three centuries before it became this weird Christianity and thing is we weren't forcing people, but we were winning people over with the power of self-sacrificial love. But I just want you to get this in your head is that our allegiance as followers of Jesus Christ has to be first and foremost with Jesus. He's not just the king in heaven. He is the king of the nations ruling from heaven. And it's our job to colonize the earth with the culture of heaven. We as followers of Jesus, we have to believe that Jesus is Lord and nothing else is. Jesus is Lord and nothing else is. One more time, screw tape. Uh, The quote is this, the real problem with your patient, or yeah, with your patient is that he's merely Christian. They don't want that. We want to get the patient in a state of mind called Christianity and. So if you want to resist the Christianity and of the world today, you have to keep these two things in mind. Number one is this, our citizenship is in heaven and your ultimate allegiance is ultimately to him. And those red letters in your Bible that are the words of Jesus, those have to take prominence over every other word that's spoken. And if he says one way and Bernie Sanders says another, well, too bad, okay? I'm like, I know we love Bernie Sanders. Too bad because Jesus' words, we serve, our allegiance is ultimately to him and to him alone. Number two is this, we are colonists bringing the culture of Christ to the world. That's our job. We're supposed to be learning the way that he does life, the way that he relates to fellow man and we're to, we're to create a colony, just like, we, just like they did when they took him to India. We're supposed to, we're supposed to take that culture and bring it down to heaven. We don't live like earthly people. We live like heavenly people. Our job is to colonize the earth with the culture of heaven. Uh, are you guys okay? Okay, good, good, good. I know it's a bit of a deep history dive, but I hope it was helpful to you. And so as uh, we close tonight, we're gonna take communion. This is, I just think about it like this. This is the table that we come to that the king himself has prepared for us. And uh, in the form of this little piece of bread and this cup, uh, we find relationship with the one true king. And it's Jesus Christ. And the Caesar way, the Caesar way to do things is this, I will establish my kingdom with the blood of my enemies. That's the Caesar way. Jesus comes and he says this, I will establish my kingdom with my own blood. And the sacrifice of peace is not you, it's me. And so he invites us all to the table to eat and drink that we might abide in him and that he might abide in us no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. Every single person in this room, he invites you to come and to take and to eat. So we're gonna pass out, uh, pass out the communion elements. Just hang on for one minute and then I'll, I'll lead us in communion. But they're gonna play a, a little song. So just hang on to your elements and we'll take communion together. Here, now, all I know is I know that you are here now. Still my heart, let your voice be all I hear. Spirit, breathe like the wind, come have your way. Cause I know that you are here now. All I know is I know that you 
Still my heart, let your voice be all I hear now. Spirit, breathe like the wind, come have your way. Cause I know that you are here now. Still my heart, let your voice be all I things that I can't see now. Spirit, breathe like the wind, come have your way. You are here now. All I know is I know that you are here now. Yes, would you still my let your voice be all I hear now. Spirit, breathe like the wind, come have your way. So I've been telling you guys over the past few weeks that I feel like as we continue to search for what is next for the church, what's the next thing for us, what the church is going to look like in 10 years. I think that we not only have to embrace the new, but we have to learn to embrace the old and to find the beauty in our Christian heritage. So last week we did it uh, for the first time, and I thought it was really great. And so I want to, as we take communion uh, together, I want to, before we do that, I want to uh, recite the Apostles' Creed. This is something that people have been reciting every week for thousands of years as they come together and take communion. So hopefully as you do this and you say these words, feel yourself in solidarity with the body of Christ as a whole. We're not just one little room doing this thing. No, there's this huge movement, this huge wave of Christianity that's continued to thrive against all odds throughout history. So so if you can, it's, it's weird, but sense yourself saying this alongside all the Christians that have come before you and all the Christians that will come after you. It's three slides and we'll recite them together. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Will you bow your heads and let's pray. So tonight, Jesus, we believe that you are uh, the one true king. That's what we believe. And we, we confess that this bread that we eat is our own participation somehow into the body of Christ. We believe that this cup that we drink is our participation somehow in the blood of Christ. And so tonight we receive you as if for the first time. And we, we just want to say this as we take communion. We want to say that we believe in you and we trust you and we thank you. So three things, we remember your death We proclaim your resurrection and we await your return.
We remember your death. We proclaim your resurrection and we await your return. So take a minute, take communion and I'll close this out in prayer. So Jesus Christ, tonight we worship you as the one true king, not just the king of heaven, but king of earth. We commit to living our lives with you as our king. We're to be people who colonize this earth uh, with your kingdom, with your alternative government, the kingdom of God, the government of God. We pray that you would help us keep our eyes on you and our allegiance first to you. The highest reality, the highest understanding we have of who we're called to be is first to you. Help us to be true to that. We find ourselves tonight in solidarity with all the other people throughout, throughout the generations who even, even some of them gave their life to declare that you are the true king people who died bravely to declare that. We say that this is our time and we'll we'll proclaim the same thing. Jesus, you are king. You are the real king. Jesus is king and Caesar is not. Jesus is king and nothing else is. And we're committed to living our life as you've told us to live it. And we say thank you. Continue to comfort us and continue to comfort a hurting world tonight. Jesus, Show us who to be. Show us what to do. We believe that you're the solution to this crazy, mixed-up world. And we declare that your light is continuing to spread and your victory is continuing to grow. So we say that we trust you. The victory is yours. We say thank you for that. We love you. It's in your sons that we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. We'll love you guys. Thanks for being here tonight. We're, uh, we just love having you. Uh, next week, I just want to tell you, the patient falls in love. <sighs> I know. It's quite the journey with this guy. The patient falls in love, so I hope you would come bring a friend if you'd like. Uh, but thanks for being here. We love you guys.